Hey everybody, thank you for choosing the Richlands Tabernacle Podcast. Right here every Thursday you will hear two new sermons from the church that were delivered either by Pastor Horton or one of the other ministers from the church. We hope you enjoy. God bless. I hope you are as excited to sit here as they are to go down there. Turn with us to Matthew chapter 9. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? To feel the Spirit of the Lord. It would have been all right with me if we'd have went on with that. Because I was praying last night and I asked God, I said, send your spirit one more time. Send your spirit one more time to the rich land's tabernacle. Oh, how we need that, don't we? That takes care of a lot of problems, takes care of a lot of situations. People get saved. People get filled with the Holy Ghost. Marriages get put back together. Things change when God comes on the scene, don't they? It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses here at the end of the chapter. And then a couple verses at the beginning of the next chapter. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. I hope that y'all will help me this morning. Because uh, y'all probably know a lot of the pushers just walked out. Right? So y'all have to help me. All right? All right. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. I didn't mean that bad. A bunch of our pushers too, but some of them are pushers as well. And so Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Notice that. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then chapter 10 and verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power. Notice that he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then dropping down to verse 6. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If the Lord would help me this morning, I'd like to talk to you this morning about compassion conducting power. Compassion conducting power. Power. Now hopefully you'll get that. I need to lay a little bit of groundwork here if the Lord will help me. And I want you to know from the very beginning this morning that I am preaching to me this morning, alright? Now y'all can just listen in, but this is for me, alright? This is for me as most of the things that I get up here and talk about, it's because God has dealt with me about it. And God has been dealing with me about this. So y'all just listen in this morning, but this is to me. If I say we, I mean me. If I say you, I mean me, all right? It'll just be the the slip of the tongue. If I say you, it'll be me that I'm talking to. So let me lay a a little bit of groundwork here. There's two words there, compassion and power, that I want to deal with this morning. We know that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. There is no question about that. He has supreme power. Jeremiah tells us that God made the heavens and the earth by His power. Revelation says that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hebrews chapter 1 says that God upholds all things by the word of His power. 
Jesus said in the Gospels, with God, all things are possible. Psalms chapter 62 and verse 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth to God. Not just once, the psalmist said, but twice I have heard from God Almighty that power belongeth unto God. So God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. It is in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. All power belongs to God. And I want to make that very clear this morning. All power belongs to God. All power is derived from God. In fact, in Romans chapter 13, the Bible says that there is no power given but from God. There is no power given but from God. A couple of years ago, when me and Aranda were building the house, and I suppose Logan was probably about six or something, and me and Aranda were working on the deck, and we were putting in floor joists, and me and Aranda were kind of over in, in the deck amongst those floor joists, and I needed another two-by-eight treated board there, and it was laying over there, but I couldn't get to it without some effort. And so I asked Logan, I said, buddy, can you slide that to me? And Aranda stopped me and said, baby, he can't do that. He can't do that. So she started to, to crawl over the floor joist to go get the board. And before she got to it, Logan got to it. And he picked it up with some effort. He picked it up and he looked at mom and he said, mom, it's okay. I've got the power. That's what he said. At six years old, he said, mom, it's okay. I've got the power. Now, he was able to get it to me, just barely, but he was able to get it to me. The truth is that God is all-powerful. God is the one that holds all of the power. And when Jesus gives us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So God has all power, and then he gave it to his son on earth. He says, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. So God has all the power. Jesus has all the power. But then this is the great commission that Jesus is talking to us here in Matthew 28. And he says, go ye into all the world. I have all power, now you go into the world. And the verse that I read to you in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10 is part of that great commission. The Bible says the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So go into the harvest, but don't go alone. Go with power. Notice that Jesus gave them power. Power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Power to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Power to heal. Power to deliver through the name of Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus was getting ready to ascend back into heaven. After his death and his resurrection. The Bible says in, in Luke chapter 24. In fact Jesus said this. But tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power. Now we know what he's talking about there. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power. And then Luke goes on and quotes Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses of me. So God the Father has all power. He gave all power to Jesus, the Son. But then the Holy Ghost has power given unto Him. And that witness is back to Jesus Christ. 
So the triune Godhead gave us power through the work of the Holy Ghost to overcome sin and Satan. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, we have a witness that the name of Jesus Christ has all power in it. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now we are merely conductors or a conduit of God's power. I'm talking to you about compassion conducting power. Hopefully you'll see what I'm talking about here in a minute when I get to this. The power of the Holy Ghost working through willing individuals, willing vessels to fulfill His great commission. It is not our power, it is His power. It is not our will, it is His will. It is not our work, it is His work. It is His power that is working through us. And so the verse that I read to you there in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them power. He gave them power. It's not our power. It's God's power. But he gave them power. How many times have you found yourself praying lately? Give us more power. Give us more power. It's not our power. It's his power. But give us more power. Power. If you look at the early church in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. The apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So our power is derived from God and it comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says, when I preach the Word of God, it's not just words. I want power to come along with that. It is not our power. We are just conductors of the power of the Holy Ghost through the name of Jesus Christ. Because the name of Jesus Christ, there is power in that name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. You remember when Peter and John went up to pray. And there was the man laying there. He said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give it to you. Such as I have, the power that I have, I give to you. And rise up and walk. It is power that they had. It is power that they had. Hebrews 2 and 3. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles, the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. So God confirmed His word here. God also bearing them witness. God confirmed His word here. He confirmed their labor of love with signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His will. What a confirmation that the Holy Ghost would come down and demonstrate and confirm His will. That's what we need. That's what 
I need. That's what the Richlands Tabernacle needs. We need a demonstration and a confirmation from the Holy Ghost that at the name of Jesus, demons will flee. That at the name of Jesus, there is healing. That at the name of Jesus, there is deliverance. That at the name of Jesus, there is power to overcome sin. And that's what I need. It was God's power working through willing vessels to fulfill His will. You see, His will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is His will. It is not our power, but it is His power. So my prayer has been... God, send us a confirmation. Give us a demonstration of your power. Give us confirmation of your word through the power of the Holy Ghost in your name. That is what we need. We need God's power in our lives. We need God's power in our homes. We need God's power in our services. Now, there is an opposing, albeit inferior, power that is at work. You know the verse well, Ephesians 6 and 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, Satan and sin are powerful forces. They are powerful forces. They are wreaking havoc upon the lives and the souls of men and women and children. In Matthew chapter 9 that I read to you there, I hope I can get my point across to you this morning. I'm talking to you about compassion conducting power. In Matthew chapter 9 that I read to you, Jesus sees the multitude that had fainted. That's what the Bible says. They had fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus saw the sad and the pitiful state that this crowd was in. He saw that that they were like mangled sheep torn by sin. They were weak. They were frail. They were scattered sheep without hope, without any comfort, without any protection, without any provision, without any help. And that's what Jesus saw. When he looked at that multitude, he saw how they really were. I want to read to you a story of a 19-year-old girl that lives in this community. I'm not going to use names or places. But this is a 19-year-old girl that lives among us. For as long as I can remember, I was told that I was a mistake and I ruined my mother's life. My father was gone and I didn't even know who he was. Men were in and out of my mother's life Each one of them leaving a mark. Most of my life the food supply has been slim. And I was left alone to care for me and my little brother. It is extremely hard and challenging to raise and provide for a little brother. When I was 10, I started babysitting other children to earn enough money for SpaghettiOs from the local convenience store to feed me and my brother. After school, my main focus was on my brother getting enough food in it to us, doing our homework, and getting us in bed. Then at 16, I got pregnant. If you want to know more about this true story, you can come and talk to me or Sister Randa, and I can tell you more about it. This is a true story of someone living in our community. 
another true story. 17-year-old girl living right in our backyard. This is what she said. My life was rough for as long as I can remember. As a child, I was either left to cry or I was smacked up against the wall to shut me up. My mother abused drugs and my father's poison was alcohol. One of my earliest memories is my mom holding a gun to my dad's head because they were fighting and she needed some of her special medicine. I remember seeing my mom throw knives at my dad while I stood in the doorway begging and pleading with my mom not to kill my dad. When I was eight years old, I began getting myself up and getting myself ready for school. I had to find my own food. I would pretend to be a klutz so that my friends and my family would believe that the bruises on my body were from the falls. Then I tried to start covering up with makeup all the bruises so my teachers would not know. My first suicide attempt was at 15, my second at 16. At 17 years old, I heard the last argument my parents would ever have. My father yelled at my mother that I was the only reason he was staying with her. So mom grabbed a gun, yelling that she was going to kill me. And she would remove any reason for dad to stay. I heard mom's footsteps coming down the hallway towards my room. And instead of waiting in my room for some reason, I stepped out into the hallway. But instead of shooting me, I watched my mom put the gun to her head and pull the trigger. I am not sad. I am relieved. There has got to be some way for us to get these people to Jesus. There has got to be some way for us to get men and women and children to Jesus. There is literally a mission field in our backyards. I know we get emotional when Jeremy and Belita Sype talk to us about children living in the trash heaps and sniffing the glue to cover up the hunger pains. And we should be. But there is a mission field right here. It is only through Jesus Christ that the chains of sin can be broken. It is only through Jesus Christ that the slavery to sin can be broken. How many children are being abused and dying right in our own community and it seems we are powerless. It seems that we have no power to help them. Romans 6 tells us that the power of sin is broken because the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous. There is so much suffering. There is so much pain. There is so much death, catastrophe. 
There is so much abuse. Sheep mangled and scattered by the wolves. There are broken homes. There are shattered lives right here. Within eyesight of this house, there is abuse. Within eyesight of this church, there are moms and dads who cycle after cycle after cycle is drugs and alcohol. How can we get them to Jesus? Good job. How can we get them to Jesus? You see, when Jesus, when he saw the weak, he saw the fainting sheep, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. He was touched with the feelings of their infirmities. Jesus sees the masses struggling, fainting, scattering. And in his, his compassion, he calls his disciples together. And he gives them power. And he says, go! That's why I'm talking to you this morning. About compassion conducting power. Jesus threw a parable. Y'all are awful quiet this morning. Jesus threw a parable. He tells the disciples. He says, go out into the highways and into the hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be filled. Yes, sir. So my question to me this morning is, do I like the power because I like the compassion? Do I like the power because I like the compassion. Brother Roger preached it right about three weeks ago when he says we don't have enough compassion, not even for our lost loved ones, much less someone walking down the street. I'm afraid that we have lost our power because we have lost our compassion. How do sinners come in the house of God and leave without feeling conviction? How is it that people who are cold and backslide right on our pews beside of us? How is it that the drunkard comes in and walks among us and yet he leaves just the same, under the same spell, under the same power of drugs and alcohol? How, how can we more effectively show the love of God to a demonized, addicted, enslaved, broken people? Battered and abused children. How is it that we can offer them the power of the chain breaker. How is it that we can offer them the power of the chain breaker? How can we offer them deliverance from the demons of drugs and alcohol? These stories that I read to you would be different if somehow we were able to reach them. God has the power. But I'm afraid I don't have the compassion to conduct the power. God has been dealing with me. I don't have the compassion to conduct the power. Dinner at the school. Every month, the children, they have to memorize a passage of Scripture. And I think Addie quoted it here Tuesday night. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe it's verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. You know what charity is, right? 
seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. But if you back up to verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am becoming as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. That's what the Apostle Paul said. We cannot have power without compassion. Jesus had compassion upon the multitude and that is why he sent his disciples out in power into the harvest. Look at it. Chapter 9, the last verses. And then chapter 10, the compassion produced the power. So we cannot have power without the compassion. Many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus' compassion preceded his display of power. Many times, Jesus' compassion is what produced the action. In Mark chapter 8, I'm just going to go with a few of these real quick. Jesus had compassion on the multitude, the Bible says, in Mark 8 and 2, because they'd gone three days without food. They were in the desert, in the wilderness. They'd gone three days without food. They were faint. They were weary. And Jesus looked at them and said, you need something to eat. So he fed the 4,000 with just seven loaves and a few small fishes. What power? But it's because of the compassion. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, the Bible says, So Jesus had compassion on them. Talking about the two blind men. And so he touched them. He had compassion upon them. And so he touched their eyes. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Who did he touch? Who did Jesus touch? He touched the leper. You mean Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the unclean? He touched the untouchable? He touched the outcast? He touched the defiled? He got within that 16 feet of law where you could not get close and he touched them? Because of his compassion, he touched the defiled, the unclean, the filthy, and he healed him. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus comes to the country of the Gadarenes. And there is a man that has been in the mountains, the Bible says, crying and screaming and cutting himself under the power of a legion of spirits less than half dressed. He comes running to Jesus. And in verse 19, Jesus says, go tell your friends that I had compassion on thee. You go tell them it was God's compassion. We find this man sitting, clothed. And in his right mind. Because Jesus had compassion. There is power in the name of Jesus over oppression. There is power in the name of Jesus over drugs and alcohol. There is power in the name of Jesus over demon possession. But how do we get him, Jesus? We've got to have some power. There's got to be a drawing power. This church needs to be a magnet. And if 
you don't think I'm screaming at you. I'm screaming at James. Hollering at me. Luke chapter 7. Verse 13. Jesus sees a woman. She's weeping. She's crying. She has lost her only son. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He had compassion on her. You see, compassion provided food. Compassion restored lives. Compassion healed the sick. Compassion is what raised the dead. Compassion touched the untouchable. Compassion gave power to the disciples to go to the lost, to go to the faint, to go to the ravaged sheep that had no shepherd. Compassion is the conduit of power. Compassion is the conductor of action. We need a demonstration of God's power. We need compassion. I know you know the story. You remember the story well of the guy who got robbed. The thieves did not just take his money. They beat him mercilessly. They drove him into the ground. They stripped him of his clothes. And he's lying in a bloody mess in his own pool of blood. The Bible says, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. His compassion led to his action. His compassion led to his action. He bound up the wounds. He put in the ointment. He brought him to a place of comfort where he could recover. The money took care of him. But it was because of compassion. And at the end of that, Jesus says this. Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. I'm preaching to me this morning. If I want more power that I've been praying for, if you want more power that you've been praying for, then I've got to have more compassion. Jude chapter 1. And of some having compassion, making a difference. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. You see, in order to pull them out of the fire, we've got to get near the heat. In order to have compassion upon them and make a difference, we've got to get out there near the heat. A.W. Tozer said this, Everything else being equal, we shall have as much success in Christian work as we have power. No more and no less. How desperately we need the power of God in our lives, in our homes, and in this church. The early church, see the early church, that they faced seemingly impossible odds of surviving. There was only 120 to start out with. But they had the power of God. So my question is, what is it going to take for the church of the last days to survive? If we had more power, maybe sinners wouldn't feel comfortable in our presence. If I had more compassion, conducting power, maybe the drunkard that walks in among us would get deliverance from the power of the bottle, the power of the peel. Maybe if I had more power, my family would not backslide off the seat at the end of my pew. 
Maybe if I had more compassion than that man or that woman that I pass on the street who is bound by the chains of sin would cause me to stop and to reach out a helping hand. Maybe if I had more of the Holy Ghost, my family would be saved. Sister Randa, Sister Dana, will you come to the music? I know it's been different this morning. Yes, sir. It's wonderful, Brother John. It's an indictment from the Holy Ghost to the church. If you look at those two girls that I talked to you about, one of the girls at the end of her story, she said, My life changed. When I got picked up on a bus and I went and sat down beside of a youth pastor. And week after week, that was my only light of hope. Was I got to go to church on Sunday morning. And there was a youth pastor that took some time out of his day to be nice to me. I don't know. I know with the pandemic, everything seems so strange. And we're so restricted in what we can do. But there seems to be this need for the Richlands Tabernacle to be more than just this house with four walls where the power does not extend out into our community. Acts chapter 4, let's stand. Acts chapter 4, this is not how it ended in my mind, by the way. This is not how it ended in my mind when I was preparing for this. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. That's what we've got to have. The Richlands Tabernacle has to have a shaking. We have to have compassion to go out into the hedges and the highways and to get them, to bring them in. But then when they get here, there has got to be that drawing, convicting power. It seems like somehow they can walk in and walk out. And we don't touch them. It seems like I work with people that are dead and dying. And I can't touch them. Or maybe it's I won't touch them. If we just had more compassion. If we had more power in equal proportion to that compassion, then when we prayed, the place would shake. And we felt that this morning. Don't get me wrong. I know the power of God is here. I know the Spirit of God is here. God has His anointing on this church. There is no doubt about it. But somehow it seems like that I'm not being part of the ministry to reach the world. And that world is within six blocks of right here. That world is within three counties of right here. Our lack of, of compassion seems to have squelched our boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you've got to understand, God has all power. And in the name of Jesus, 
there is power. In the name, we have the greatest thing going. In the name of Jesus, there is power over demons. In the name of Jesus, there is victory over drugs. In the name of Jesus, there is healing from oppression. In the name of Jesus, there is deliverance. In the name of Jesus, there is uh, abuse can stop. In the name of Jesus. Children can be rescued in the name of Jesus. Men and women's lives can be put back together. Marriage failure can be stopped in the name of Jesus. That's right. In the name of Jesus. Dana sent Aranda this song to learn. Here's the words. They say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. Because there is power in your name. We've heard that there is no way through. We've heard that the tide will never change. But they haven't seen what you can do. So it's not lack of God's power. Somehow we've got to show them what God can do. Randa read me story after story and me and her sat in our living room and cried. And we asked ourselves, how in the world can we get these people to Jesus? How can we get them to Jesus? There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the unmovable. Break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe. There is power in the name of Jesus. If you believe that there is power in the name of Jesus, then raise your hands and ask God to send us that power. God, send us power so that when someone walks through that door, they feel conviction. Send us that power so that when our loved ones walk through that door, they see Jesus and not just a building with chandeliers and walls and not just with a program and not just with things. God, let them see you when they walk through that door. God, shake us again. Shake the foundation of this church so that we will be a witness to our community. The harvest truly is ripe. In the name of Jesus, give us power over demons. Give us power over sickness. Give us power over the enemy. God, let us be a conductor of your power so that children are not abused on our streets.
I don't know if you heard me or not, but we've had an indictment from the Holy Ghost for the church. We've got to have compassion and love for the lost and dying. I'm asking for a church, a praying church together around these altars this morning. And if you're here without the Lord, I want you to come right now. Come right now and seek the face of the Lord. I felt compelled this morning to kind of share something. I kind of felt compelled this morning on the subject of what James preached on to come before you. I'm a testimony of that lifestyle. A lot of you don't know that. Been coming here for a long time. I was bound by addiction for 20 years. I was an alcoholic for 20 years. When I quit, I was drinking a fifth a day. Twelve years ago, everything I owned, you could have put in a trash bag. You see some of the vehicles that me and Cynthia drive? Twelve years ago, I had a piece of junk. Hey, there is deliverance in Jesus. Okay, and it didn't happen in a formal setting around a church with a lot of drama and a lot of theatrics. It happened one day when I had enough And I didn't want to live like that anymore. And I got in my vehicle and on the way to the doctor's office, I said, Jesus, I'm not walking down this road no more. And that doctor didn't know what come in his office that morning, but it changed my life. But I found a Christian doctor who had compassion on me. I snorted so many pills, a pharmacist would get confused. There's no bone in my nose right now because of it. I was deep in addiction 12 years ago. But because there was some Christian people, because I had a Christian mother and father, and because I looked up at heaven and I said, I don't want to live like this anymore, my life was changed forever. Sometimes when me and Cynthia got married, I went to the beach on our honeymoon or one of our trips. It wasn't our honeymoon. But I looked up and I never seen the sky so blue. I never knew what it was like to order a meal in a restaurant. Never sat in one. Sat in somebody's garage and drank beer. Snorted pills. Thought that was life. And I'm going to tell you something. What James said today is a reality. It's the people that you look at every day. They disguise it. I didn't have a badge on my face. I didn't have a, a billboard on my back saying, hey, I'm addicted. I blend it right in with society. But those little seeds that you plant every day can make a huge difference in somebody's life. And the road that I went down, the depression is the devil's playground. Every time, whether it's gambling, pornography, drugs, alcohol, y'all noticed it all goes down the same road. It's a road to depression. And then you got a pistol stuck in your face. I stuck a shotgun in my mouth and I pulled down on the trigger. Now, is that the life that Jesus had in store for me? The Bible says he made the image. I'm made in the image of him. He's got a good plan, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. So what happened? I got off that road. But that day on the way to the doctor, I got back on it. I just felt led this morning to tell you that there is a change and people can change. And just because the devil's confused people 
and you get tripped up and the speed bumps in life get you off track don't mean you can get back on it. I encourage each of you today just to listen to the Holy Spirit. If that person in front of you, if the Lord's tugging, just plant that seed. You know, there is a better life. There's people that make it. If you can say, hey, I know a guy that made it. Hey, hey, give my telephone number and gladly tell people about Jesus. I just felt led this morning to tell you that these people are in our back doors. They're working in our offices. They're working in our hospitals. They're friends. And God can turn things around. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord has delivered Brother Rodney and done that for him? You look at beautiful family he's got, and it's all because of the grace of God. All because of the grace of God, Cynthia, that you're here in the house of the Lord this morning. Please, please come, church, and let's weep and cry for souls. And let's pray that the Lord will give us compassion. Come on, meet us around these altars. If you will, come. Come forward. Come and meet us here this day. Oh, God. Oh, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I know oh, that I'm not God. worthy, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh. By eyes of faith I see thee on the cross of Calvary.
To listen to those stories that Brother James read to us this morning from those abused children. You know, we've brought those children. We've brought them into our congregation. You know, uh, I remember one time there at the, uh, for punishment, the custodian of those children wouldn't let them have shoes to wear. Now, what a punishment is that? How ridiculous is that? To send a child out in the cold without shoes. Amen. Or flip-flops. And Sister April and them stopped and bought shoes for those children. Amen. Lord, have mercy. I want you to know that the drug culture is the most abusive culture and what it is, it's the devil destroying lives and homes and families. Yes, Amen. So would you please, 
I didn't realize you had that kind of story. I knew you had a background, Brother Rodney, but I didn't realize it was that severe. You've never shared that with us before. It was God's and will. When it was God's will for you to share that today. And, uh, but, uh, will you find a place to pray with us today before we come back to the service tonight? You know, well, Brother James, it really touched me at Allen. He comes and he, he just, he can, he can just about drive you nuts. But he's got a soul. And, uh, and you ought to go see the condition he lives in. You should go see the condition he lives in. He's not had water and sewer and electricity in years. Years. Uh, he's such an alcoholic. We quite often take food by to him, and uh, and I and I tell him, I say, Alan, if you don't get a hold some way, if you don't get a hold, son, you're going to die, and you're going to die lost. He said, I know, brother Philip, I know, but it's an indictment against me because we do not have the power that we need for him to be delivered. And you know, he came to church our couple three weeks ago. His trailer had caught on fire. From those, can you imagine having a kerosene heater? They, all they are is belching out carbon monoxide, killing your brain cells. My Lord, Lord, have mercy. Would you stand and let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to deal with us. Ask the Lord, please deal with us. Oh, God, Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray for souls. We pray. For that one nearest eternity, we beg you for Alan. We beg you for all of these. We beg you for these children, Lord, that you would open up the way, Lord, that you would give us the opportunity that they could have a, a real life and they could have and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Please minister to us, shield us, keep us, lead us, and guide us in all truth and all righteousness. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Chris and Chrissy, thank you all so much for being here today. Please, please come back. Connie, please, I'll see you tonight. Amen.